Blog Talk Radio. Peter Bogosian and I took a left at the valley with Kevin and Karen. Welcome once again, guys, to another edition of Left of the Valley with Kevin and Karen. Hi, Karen. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Oh, it's oh, always... <laughs> You're not supposed to speak so close to that yes, microphone. Yes, okay. She I'm always sorry. has microphone problems. Soon she'll be playing with it. You'll be hearing something. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Happens every show, and that's why we're so professional. Um, today we got an interesting show, and uh, we got a couple of... Uh, People that we're going to bring on right now, but we'll go into a bit later after a couple of segments as to why they're here. Uh, Karen, would you be so kind to uh, introduce our our guest? Well, with us today we have Michael Hale and Lynn Perrin, both well-known and and highly regarded activists in the Fraser Valley, both very concerned with environmental issues. And we're very happy to have you. Welcome, both of you. We're really happy to be here. Good to see you. Excellent. Uh, you guys are part of a group called Pipe Up, right? Right. Do you oh. want to know the full name of Pipe Up? Absolutely. Go right ahead. Pro-Information, Pro-Environment, United People Network. Excellent. And we'll be getting into that really, really soon here. But first, we'll do our usual, and I guess we'll go into our segment of This Day in History. Tell me when I'm allowed to speak. Oh. Just got to give it a second. <laughs> yeah, I told you, jumped a gun all the time. Well, this day in history, we're going back a bit. <laughs> it's okay, we always bicker like this. <laughs> November 26, 1922. King Tut's tomb is opened by Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon. Uh, wow, that must have been really cool. Yeah, he gave rise to uh, many uh, legends of the tomb being cursed and everything. Cursed, that's right, and all these people involved in it died. Um, also on November 26, 1922, Charles M. Schultz, of the creator of Peanuts, was born. Um, and in other news, on November 26, 1939, Tina Turner was born. Wow. Yeah, Tina Turner. Uh, 1955, November 27th, Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, we love Bill Nye. I love Bill Nye. Uh, in 2001, the Hubble, Hubble telescope discovers a hydrogen atmosphere on planet Osiris. The first atmosphere on an extrasolar planet. Yeah, they've actually discovered a uh, was it a hydrogen a hydrogen atmosphere? That's what it says. Yeah, hydrogen atmosphere on a planet not in this solar system. Very exciting. November thirtieth, seventeen eighty-two. The British signed an agreement recognizing American independence. Yeah, they decided they want to cut their losses. <laughs> November thirtieth, nineteen hundred. Oscar Wilde dies in Paris. Um, there's, there's a long story about that, which maybe I'll go into another time. But Oscar Wilde sadly died in Paris because he was exiled from Britain because he was gay. After serving many years in prison, he was sent away to Paris. 
where he died. Um, uh, the, November 30th, 1974, the Pioneer 2 takes pictures of Jupiter. December 1st, 1955, a woman named Rosa Parks refuses to sit at the back of the bus. A uh, big milestone. Oh, yeah. Created a lot <laughs> I mean, of good trouble. Yes, good for her. And December 1st, 1981, AIDS is officially recognized. Um, December 2nd, 1804, Napoleon crowns himself emperor. Sorry, I couldn't read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is interesting after the revolution. But anyway, and December 2nd, 2001, Enron files for bankruptcy. Oh, I'm sure you two uh, could have something to say about that. Yeah, I'm just going to tie in with the subject to that at some point. I can link into that. <laughs> December 5th, 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issues a bill deploring the spread of witchcraft in Germany. Yeah. That will tie into a, a, a huge problem now. Uh, yeah, a future episode where we'll be having soon where we're going to actually speak to some Wiccans. Yeah, yeah, we'll actually have some Wiccans on. That Talk about be. the religions. could be fun. Yeah. And last one, December 6th, 1877, Thomas Edison makes the first sound recording on his phonograph reciting Mary Had a Little Lamb. And now here we are <laughs> in 2014 <laughs> at Left at the Valley. In the dungeon somewhere <laughs> recording this. Thank you, Mr. Edison. Okay. Excellent. So I guess we might as well bring our guests in. Uh, like we said, guys, feel free to jump in whenever. This is free for all. Don't be shy. But uh, you guys, uh, like you said, you're part of a network called Pipe Up. Uh, it's a little group you guys uh, are a part of, and you found it right here in the Fraser Valley, somewhere around Abbotsford mainly, right? No, actually, um, we're, we did first meet in Abbotsford, but we're way beyond Abbotsford. Now we're, we say we're in southwestern BC, but we have chapters in Chilliwack, Abbotsford, Langley, and Surrey. Hmm. Wow. Okay, so I guess the question is, what is Pipe Up? It's a community group. And so you introduced us as activists. Um, I would say that we're more fundamentally, we're residents. And we're residents specifically who are concerned or who are asking questions about the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. So um, the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. So did you? What what caused you to? Uh, yeah. Um, what was the genesis of that? Yeah. The genesis of the pipe up movement. Well, for me, it was in the fall of 2011, encountering Kinder Morgan face to face in my neighborhood, in my new urban neighborhood. Mm-hmm when they were cutting trees down in the green space behind where I lived. And so being the self-appointed guardian of the green space, I booted out there to see what these chainsaws were all about and found out that they were cutting, clear-cutting their right-of-way near where my home was. Wow. And so I was told at that time that they were happy that I was paying attention. They like us <laughs> to be paying attention. I don't think that much attention they found out. I, but think, I, think, I think they were, didn't they say they were happy that you were paying attention because you could look out <laughs> for oil spills? on the ground, yeah. yeah. Look out Be for the oil spills. on the ground, actually. And also, um, they told me they were clear-cutting so that their helicopters could fly over twice a week to check for leaks. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound very good. 
And then um, I read in the correspondence in section of the Abbotsford um, City Council agenda that they were planning an expansion. This was in November 2011. I thought, oh, I, I don't think that's a very good idea. And then in January of two, uh, 2012, we had the spill at the Sumas tank farm. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, gee whiz, this doesn't sound very good. Uh, Michael sort of has some similar... Well, you know, we, I, I live on a farm. It's an organic farm in Yarrow, and um, we knew there was a pipeline going through the property, and uh, we understood that it was carrying oil for local needs. Uh, this pipeline was is, is called the Trans Mountain Pipeline, and it's uh, it was built 61 years ago, 1953. It was built to carry oil from Alberta to uh, Burnaby for local needs. And uh, so we really hadn't thought too much about that. We need oil, obviously. You know, uh, we're still in that uh, fossil fuel paradigm. And uh, then one day I saw, I don't know that I heard or I saw a poster, uh, a notice saying uh, there was a meeting to talk about the... uh, Kinder Morgan Pipeline expansion to carry diluted bitumen, and I thought diluted bitumen—that's a—that's what the people up north and uh, have been talking about and are very concerned about in the Northern Gateway Pipeline. Uh, I need to know more about that. So I went along to the uh, to the meeting, and uh, a lot of other people did at the same time, and it was. Um, I think people sort of, with alarm bells ringing, like Lynn, like me, and a whole bunch of others, and that caused us to want to meet again, and the second meeting we decided, okay, we're going to form a group, a community group. That was Pipe Up. Okay, so you, so essentially you guys are <clears throat> opposing the Kinder Morgan Pipeline. Uh, is, it, is, it, is there a, spe- a specific reason you're opposing this pipeline? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's one of several, or in a well, word. Well, I mean, it's the product. It's the, the product, product is right. going to carry. Um, I I refer to it as toxic diluted bitumen, and it, it's the product. Um, it, it's um, even even Kinder Morgan admits it's toxic. Even Kinder Morgan admits that it's carcinogenic. Even mm-hmm. Kinder Morgan admits that it can cause cancers. Right in its submission. Um, even Kinder Morgan admits that it's gonna could cause damage to our fish, uh, our streams, and and um, endangered species. So, and this is the product they're asking you to watch out for on their behalf in yes. your backyard. Yes. <laughs> Are you getting Great. a paycheck over that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and isn't it true also that the pipes, the pipeline itself, is not intended to carry this particular product, the the like the existing pipeline? Well, the existing pipeline built. 53 years ago was built to carry oil and the problem with that is that in the last 20 years oil is getting scarcer and they're looking for the last of the oil and they found these bitumen deposits and they figured out a way to to transport it now bitumen starts out being a Mm semi-solid it's like molasses so to get it to run in a pipeline they have to dilute it and there therein lies the first problem because what they dilute it with are highly volatile hydrocarbons, such as uh, 
petrol, um, natural gas condensate or naphtha. These are highly volatile and flammable mm-hmm. substances. And uh, so when they <clears throat> when they mix the the bitumen with the the volatile substance, they've got this, as Lynn calls it, toxic cocktail. Mm-hmm. Okay, hmm. um, I'm going to play devil's advocate in this situation here. Because I think, you know, it's it's good to try to bring a bit of a balance here because I want to answer some of the questions that some of our listeners are saying. So how do I know that Pipe Up is not just some kind of a NIMBYism program here or, or group, you know, just I don't want this in my backyard kind of thing? Well, I think that um, I think that a lot of people start out with that reaction. And I don't want this, when they find out, that there's a pipeline in their backyard or near their house, their first reaction is, "Hey, I don't, I don't want this," and so that's that's NIMBY. That's a basic yeah. NIMBY reaction. Um, I don't think that's uh, good or bad. I think it just is a natural reaction. But the thing is, when people then become more informed, then um, then they develop a better understanding of what's involved, and you you sort of make a transition from. Uh, NIMBY to nope, not on planet Earth. That's where I'm at. So this, mm-hmm. this is your, this is where you guys stand. You you, if it was not really, bitumen, really loud. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. So if it wasn't bitumen, if it was something else, if it was like regular, let's say diesel or just petroleum, brute petroleum that wasn't bitumen, you guys would still not be okay with this pipeline. Well, that's an interesting. That's a really interesting question. I um, I think that. What we know now, just in the two and a half years that Pipe Up's been in existence, um, people have become increasingly aware that climate change is real. It's mm-hmm. happening, and we got to be worried about it. So, um, so that then means we've got to get off. We have to f- have a way to get off fossil fuels. Um, that isn't going to happen overnight, obviously. But yet, the rate at which climate change has been coming on, mm-hmm. the you know the catastrophic storms, the warming of the oceans, the acidification of the mm-hmm. oceans, the uh, floods, the droughts, and and all this, it's much more than most people reckoned with, you know, a few years mm-hmm. ago. So that now, uh, basically, I would say that uh, everyone in Pipe Up agrees that climate change is real. We have to do something about it. We have to find alternatives. Right. Go ahead, Lynn. Yeah, and that's that's something that we've always, we've um, done a lot of research on, we've done a lot of research on diluted bitumen. We've done quite a bit of research on Kinder Morgan itself. We've done quite a bit of research on alternatives. We've done research on climate change. So, and and one thing that we always also um, um, put out there as far as information, because like I said, pro-information, is alternatives. Mm-hmm. You know, there are alternatives. And, you know, my personally and PIPOP also, we've been involved with the Northern Gateway issue. We've you know, personally, I've been involved with the Line 9 issue. We're concerned about the Energy East pipeline. Mm-hmm. It's just not this particular pipeline that happens to be going through the Fraser Valley that we're concerned about. Right. It's a, 
it's uh, emblematic or symptomatic of of still relying heavily on fossil fuels when we need to be exploring very quickly and and seriously exploring alternatives. So, so, so you guys are pro information. You've done a lot of research, huh? Yes. Really, you guys are willing to put out that test? <laughs> yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> this is not as ominous as it sounds. <laughs> well, this is our pop quiz music. Uh, really, really loud music. Oh. <laughs> not supposed to be that loud. Maybe want to check your volume level. Yeah, so this is our pop quiz music. Quick, just for fun, guys. Let's see what the pipe up people do against Karen. <laughs> Put you on the spot, Karen. <laughs> okay. Quick question. I only got four questions. It'll be nice and easy. According to StatsCan, renewables provide what percentage of the energy supply? Is it A... In Canada? In Canada, yeah. Well, according to StatsCan, right? Mm -hmm. Is it A, 16.9, B, 25, C, 20.2, or D, 23.1? May I point out they're all pretty low numbers. I'm going with 23.1. I think it's 16.9. Yeah, I'd say about 16. Yeah. Way to go. I win? No, No, they they win. (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) Question two. That's not very high. Wow, we've got to do better than that. We've got a ways to go. Yeah. In the G20, where does Canada rank in renewables? Is it 5th, B, 13th, C, 20th, or D, 10th? Well, I'm assuming 20th is dead last. That's going to be us. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You know, you're not going to be like hit over the head. Yeah, I'd say 20th. Okay. Well, that's a that's a really tricky question because uh, Canada ra- ranks dead last on action on climate change. But actually, we're doing not too badly on renewables. Mm-hmm. And that's just... With uh, no no help from government, shall we say, um, and it's uh, it's. Be- I thought it was between five and ten percent. I would have said, uh, I would have said five fifth or tenth. I would have said seventh. Seventh. I don't even have that as a no. I an option. <laughs> you said five or ten, and I if I had to pick one, I'd actually have. <laughs> There's not even an answer to get. Actually, get the, the answer is 13th. 13th. There you go. In the G20, right? In the G20. Oh, oh. Yeah. Uh, question three. Mm-hmm. One-fifth of oil reserves in the world are accessible to private the, the, to the private sector. Of that one-fifth, what is the percentage of it in Canada? Is it 20%, 14%, 56%, or 32%? I have no idea. Because a lot of these uh, countries have uh, reserves, but they're state-owned, right? It's companies that uh, they're, they're, they're crown corporation, for lack of a better word, actually. But in Canada, it's all private. And what were the choices again? 20, 14, 56, 32. Oh, I'm going to say 56. Yeah, me too. I'm going to say 32. Hey, it was 56. Way to go, guys. Last question, bonus round. So according to the Canadian Energy Resource Institute, what is the break-even price per barrel for a full mining operation? In other words, what price, you know what they say the price of a barrel is, Mm. for them to break even 
when they sell it to the public because of the uh, the mining and all the cost. Is it $81 a barrel, $69 a barrel, $30 a barrel, or $103 a barrel? 30 Oh, you're going for low. I'm going for low. 69 69 Yeah, 69 uh, It's 103 Really? Well, you got to remember that the tar sands, it's a lot of mining, a lot of uh, work goes into taking the uh, bitumen and taking the oil out of the sand. But isn't the price of a barrel of oil something like $80 now or something? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's below 70 Yeah, so right now they're not They're losing money. money. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess they're counting for the market. So I didn't. I don't think I understood your question. Was it just you were just talking about bitumen? Yeah, for the for, oh, the, uh, okay. for the for breaking even, you know, on uh, when you have a full mining operation. Yeah, okay. but I guess that yeah, because there's different mining operations if we're thinking tar sands as opposed to if anywhere still has an, like yeah. an oil well or if it's coming from the North Sea or whatever. Yeah, it would be you, very if, different if depending you, on where it's coming from. If you're like the, the Beverly Hillbillies, you shoot a gun into the ground and something comes up, then your price of producing per barrel is very low because yeah. the oil is right there. But and mm-hmm. also the, the different methods now, the in-situ compared to just the the old getting in there with the scoop and digging it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for participating in your quiz. Have a good night. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> <coughs> so you guys, you guys mentioned you've been uh, around for two and a half years, almost three years. Yeah. What have you guys done so far? I mean, you're you're, you're posing to the Morgan. We get that. Uh, what, what are the activities of pipe up? Mm-hmm. What do you guys do? You tie yourselves up to trees. Well, one thing that we've tried to do is a lot of outreach to our communities and giving, you know, digging up the information and sharing that information with our communities. I'd say that's our number one goal is mm. to share information and factual information, not spin. Yeah, that's yeah, always important. You guys are pretty good on the quiz. So, I'm so we do all kinds of different things. We hold town hall meetings ourselves. We go to events that are put on by our allies, our various allies. Michael, do you want to add to it? Well, just picking up on that, our our allies are are now many and varied. They're community organizations, they're environmental organizations, they're our labor organizations. First Nations, First Nations of course. First Nations actually leading in many many respects. Mm-hmm. Did you um, d- did your organization apply to be uh, attend the NEB hearings? It's yes, yes, yeah. we did, and we were successful in getting intervener status. So um, we've actually been pretty active in that. We submitted uh, a number of questions t- in the uh, first information round, and we're as many other interveners or most inter- other interveners were very disappointed in the lack of response from uh, Kinder Morgan. And didn't you they just like the truth. not answer a bunch of questions that were posed to them? Right. Right. You hmm. you we you know on um their ads and in their town hall me- their public things they talk about their safety record. But when you go to ask them about specifics of the current pipeline and their current way of doing business and, you know, just current procedures, they say not applicable. 
to this expansion. Hmm. What is their safety record? What does it look like? I mean, is it like the eighty spills? In the lifetime of the in the lifetime on this particular pipeline. This particular pipeline. So this pipeline by itself, eighty spills over how long of a lapse of years? Sixty-one. In sixty-one years. That's more than that's like a one and a half a year (laughs) on average. And uh, and those are just the reportable spills. Those are just uh, spills under a certain volume don't even get reported. Really? And isn't it? I just. I think I read this recently somewhere, the spill on Sumas Mountain. They said they went through all the proper protocols and reported it, and, and then it turned out that they didn't actually do that, that it, it only was because of the citizens who complained that they actually did anything about that particular spill at all. And it was in at like a public school, or, or the school had to be evacuated. Well, what happened was the spill started at 2.37 a.m., and there were they did not respond until the fourth alarm at 5 something a.m. They did not notify emergency services like the fire police and Fraser Health until 9 after 9 a.m. when the school was already in session and the children at the school started to get nausea nausea and headaches. The school's air intake really? had to be shut down. Wow. Uh, that's Incredible. And you'd think it would at least try to say, you know, we have a problem, don't send the kids to school? Not even... And well, then... It's quite a, it's quite common. I'll, I'll let Lynn continue, but I just, you know, want to note that it's very common that they, first of all, they, they do ignore alarms. That was one of the features of the Kalamazoo spill in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, they ignore, ignored uh, uh, countless numbers of alarms, and there are reasons why there are technical reasons why they do that, and, and that wasn't the case in the Abbotsford one, but uh, they did ignore the alarms because there were uh, there were weather problems, and they had reason to believe that it might be caused by just the the weather situation. It wasn't until the neighborhood began to call them yes. that they got yes. onto it. But also. When the a couple of weeks after the spill, when the community sponsored a meeting, it wasn't Kinder Morgan or the National Energy Board that sponsored the meeting. It was the community that says, "You're going to come here and you're you're going to talk to us." And I happened to be at that meeting because I lived pretty close to where the spill was at at the time. And um, when people got up one after the other and asked what was spilled, what was in that spill, what caused us have headaches, what caused us to be nauseous. Um, neither Kinder Morgan nor the National Energy Board would say what was in that spill. And so I emailed uh, the National Energy Board and I said, why are you not telling people what was in that spill? And the response was commercial proprietary information. Mm-hmm. And I said, surely, surely that does not trump public health. Apparently it does. Yeah, so the so these people so yeah, the the government terrible. the federal government and Kinder Morgan expect you to just allow a pipeline to go through, not knowing what goes through it, not knowing the effects on the environment or your health if a spill occurs. Is that right? Most of us come to that conclusion, Kevin. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. I I'm you know, <laughs> as much as I wanna be um, 
the uh, devil's Neutral. advocate. <laughs> it's getting hard, isn't it? Well, <laughs> well, it is getting hard. Something I was expecting you to say if you were a really good devil's advocate is, well, <laughs> something like, uh, what about all the jobs? Well, the I was about okay. to get on that. <laughs> I was about to get on that. Uh, uh, that, that's one thing you hear all the time. I say, oh, come on, man, we need the jobs. Uh, and another thing that you all often hear is, did you drive to your meeting because, you know what, otherwise you're a hypocrite. How do you guys answer, th- answer that? Which one, the jobs one or the uh, driving to the Take meeting? both. All right. So the, uh, the, um, the jobs one is, is a very interesting thing because they, they love to claim that it's a big stimulus for employment, big project like this. You'd expect it would be. turns out that they, um, th- there are a number of construction jobs. We still don't have an accurate uh, readout on what that's going to be. Um, a recent study said they've in their, their application inflates the number of possible construction jobs by about a factor of three. But when you look through their 15,000-page application to find out how many permanent jobs there will be as a result of the pipeline, it's somewhere between 50 and 100. There's only one graph in all of those 15,000 pages that that addresses this. And you have to read the bar, and the bar is, you know, you can't quite say whether it's closer to 50 or 100, but it's it's in that range. Hmm. And in our information request, um, we asked if if they would make a commitment, Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain would make a commitment that those would those construction jobs would be Canadian jobs, and that they wouldn't be temporary foreign worker jobs, and they would not they would they not wouldn't. commit to that. Yeah, and I think I think wow. there's also something that's. Uh, I mean, I've, I work with construction people all the time, even for what I do for a living there. And uh, people get this uh, idea that, you know, oh, yeah, we got 200 construction jobs. They're not new construction jobs. They're just going to take a construction company that already is working at some project. And their next project is going to be building the pipeline. So you're not creating new jobs. You just have a bit more employment for these people. It's only once the pipeline is completed, then you got a monitoring team, and you're saying between 50 and 100, but Mm -hmm. you don't really know. Uh, And that's... It's a it's a tiny it's a tiny number of jobs really, and that's because uh, the fossil fuel industry is tremendously capital capital intensive. So you know, huge expenditures expenditures on capital, not a lot of labor involved in in uh, in any of the processes of uh, of the fossil fuel business. But the uh, the thing that uh, overall I think people in British Columbia don't really all realize yet is the fact that uh, none of this stuff is for BC's local mm-hmm. needs. Yeah, that was my next point. So, yeah, so the um, you know the pipeline that was built to supply local needs is in actual fact now carrying about one third of its throughput is bitumen, is diluted bitumen, and uh, that's all for export. So that the uh, local refinery, Chevron in Burnaby, doesn't get enough anymore of conventional product. They can't take, uh, they can't refine uh, diluted bitumen. They it, they haven't upgraded their refinery to handle it, and so um, they've had to. They they applied to the National Energy Board to get uh, priority status for lo- to meet local needs. The NEB <laughs> denied it. 
Wow. So, so Chevron is getting their supply by train and truck. Not all of their supply, but but no. a significant, like 8,000. What, what the Trans Mountain? 7,500 yeah. barrels uh, a day that they can't get enough of. Uh, so is this pipeline, this bitumen, going to the refineries down in the States? There's uh, several refineries not far into Washington State right here, right? Yeah, they don't take much. The local uh, Puget Sound refineries don't take much, but Los most Angeles. of it goes is shipped down the coast to uh, Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. And the refineries there where they've upgraded the refineries to be able to process bitumen. But, of course, what Kinder Morgan really wants to do, and it's no secret, they don't make a secret of it, uh, is they want to get it to China mm-hmm. because China will pay more for it. And actually, they're st- they've started, Synovus Energy um, started shipping diluted bitumen to China in February of 2012. But so it's already sort of happening. It is happening, and they, they want to increase the uh, the uh, the amount of shipments to China. So that's that's behind the rationale for expanding or putting in a new pipeline for bitumen. So this is exactly kind of like the, the the same thing that has been going on with the raw logs. We're exporting the raw product. They share the they refine it over there, and they probably come and sell it back to us exactly at a premium at a higher price. Absolutely, and our gas prices will go up. Yeah. And so, um, how many tankers come into Vancouver now? Roughly sixty a year now. And what will should they be allowed? Over four hundred. Yeah, so that's more than a tanker a day. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a very precarious way to to. Uh, Export to transport oil. Yeah, especially when, with the federal government cutting the Coast Guard. You know, I think that was a stupid move to begin with, but that's a, that's for another show. But now with that, I mean, who do you have really watching? So yeah, so now we have the NEB has very little environmental oversight anymore, and we have a, a very old pipeline being expanded and sending a different product down that pipeline to the coast, where tanker traffic is going to increase threefold to send oil to China to be refined to come back to us to buy at a higher price. Mm-hmm. And by the way, to go into the atmosphere and create more climate yes. change. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, Stunning. you guys might not know this, but uh, we actually have a recording of the prison of uh, Kinder Morgan, and we asked him what his strategy was. <laughs> I think you play this every single part. That's okay. <laughs> that, th- this is what he said. Crush your enemies. See them driven before you. They hear a lamentation of the women. Yeah, that was a that was the president of Kinder Morgan, right there. Well, now I th- I thought it was the uh, when you say president of Kinder Morgan, you mean Rich Kinder, and you mentioned uh, Enron in your introduction. Uh, oh yes. they had an anniversary. This uh, Richard Kinder is a former very senior executive of uh, Enron. Managed to get out just before Enron went down. Yeah, he was a smart one. He got out with the pipeline business. That's how it started, yeah. and wow. uh, yeah. So they bought uh, they bought the Trans Mountain pipeline in 2005, and um, they claim that their safety record is second to none. Well, that's not true in the states. So we wondered how it would be in Canada, and uh, they've had six spills since they uh, since they acquired the line in in 2005. And two of those in Abbotsford, and. The one in 2005 spilled into Kilgard Creek and into the wetland. took them one week to find that spill and stop it. And 
some of the emergency responders that, and it was the residents again, their noses, Uh that said there is a spill. Their technology in their Edmonton control center didn't pick it up. It was the noses of the people of Sumas Mountain. And first responders went in there without the proper gear. Michael can tell you about the American EPA standards with regard to first responders. Well, the um, the material safety data sheet for um, for diluted bitumen is uh, is kind of raises the hair on the back of your neck because <laughs> it's uh, it's rated uh, category three and it's on a four point uh, scale. Uh, so that's a very high level for health, and category three requires full hazmat, like that's the the suit, oh, yeah. full hazmat gear, and it's interesting to see uh, Kinder Morgan in their practice uh, s- uh, spill response uh, demo, uh, not wearing proper full gear, and in the uh, in the spill in Michigan. Um, the workers were using skimmers and booms, which proved to be ineffective uh, because the bitumen separates Strike. from the volatiles mm-hmm. and it sinks. And uh, and not only that, but they're not wearing full hazmat. Mm-hmm. So, so, now, so you might end up with employees having health problems down the future as well. First responders are at risk, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, met a, I met a first responder from uh, North Vancouver not long ago. And his, him and his crew were all exposed to benzene, which is a part of the dilutant. And out of a f- crew of five, he's the only one who survived past 50 years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It is. It's terrible. But, Kevin, you you said, uh, well, what what did you do, drive here? and? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the next. This is what they'll use, and, right? This is what they use. Well, they and and guilty as charged uh, in a hybrid car, and we're carpooling, you know. But I have to say, you know, um, as much as we try to do to um, reduce our carbon footprint, um, I really don't think that the individual can do it all. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's possible. No, we I need think. we need help from government. I think it's one of those things that people say to try to end the conversation. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. David Suzuki was driving around in a big diesel bus. Well, what else is he supposed to drive in? You know, there's no there's no electric bus out there. You know, actually they're coming. They're yeah, they, they're, they're now they've now got some really nifty electric trucks. Mm, yes, well they've been suppressed for so long. And the province is just getting rid of its last hydrogen buses. Go <laughs> yeah. figure. But you're you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we kind of like we have to get rid of our light bulbs and we have to pay carbon tax or, or gas tax and all that. And that's fine. I'm not complaining about that. But we as individuals are not causing nearly as much damage as these as the tar sands and as large factories that have no emissions controls. And those are the things that really need to be clamped down on. And the government in Canada is not willing to do that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't all do our part, but the big impact is going to come from those much larger polluters. Well, I agree, and deforestation is also a huge factor, and uh, you know some of the agricultural practices also mm-hmm. contribute to climate change. So, really, we have to rethink what, you know what we're up to, what we're doing, and not only does the government not encourage people to get off fossil fuels, but they actually subsidize mm-hmm. the fossil fuel sector. 
Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is, okay, you know, but we need to provide some incentives for people to make the switch. It's not an easy thing to do. You need that. Mm-hmm. You, you need so redirect some of those subsidies that are going into fossil fuels mm-hmm. to incentives. I'm going to make them an offer you can't refuse. Well, that was abrupt. You know, I gave up my car in 2005. Mm-hmm. And I've been taking public transit whenever possible. And so even then, even when you say to them, well, you know, I do public transit, they say, well, that bus you rode well, on, you know, so, but, you know, I mean. You're doing I, the best you can with what is available. Best. And also the thing is, the other thing I've noticed is that there a lot of their events, they hold them in places where you can't get to them. Mm-hmm. on public transit. I was just talking to my sister before we came, and um, there was a program about the air pollution in China and how serious it is and how children can't go outside mm-hmm. a lot of the times. And I was saying that um, our federal government and our prime minister will say, well, Canada hardly emits anything. Yes, <laughs> you that know, was but, my next point. <laughs> but the thing is, it's just like the drug dealers and the drug users you know um you you don't you not only want to um reduce the number of drug users but you definitely want to go after the dealer mm-hmm. and in this situation We're China is the user and Canada yes. is the dealer yes that's an excellent analogy oh i like that i'm going to use that yeah there's a there's a great movie. It's called Who Killed the Electric Car. I don't mm. know if either of you've seen it, but yes. that that talks a lot about the supply and demand too. These people have these great electric cars and they loved them, and then they all got taken away by the manufacturer, and they couldn't keep their electric cars that they so badly mm. wanted to keep. Well, if the technology the technology is there, but if the product isn't there available for me to buy, what what choice do I have? I mean, some people need a car to get to their place of well, work. That's, so. that's true. So you have to think of it, it's a huge change, and you have to think of it in terms of, uh, you know, not just a decade, but decades. Yes. It will go on for decades. But uh, you just have to look to other parts of the world to see how people are really stepping up and making the shift. Mm-hmm. In Germany, for example. Yes. I was just in Germany a few months ago, and uh, it was astounding to see the, the changes they've made. And, and that's with uh, government encouragement and support. Mm-hmm. And Germany now has uh, electrical energy in the hands of people and communities rather than the big corporations and mm-hmm. utilities. Pretty, It's pretty amazing to see. That's fantastic. You remember we worked on an issue three years ago about the Stave Lake water. Yes, the P3. Yes, P3 water. And, you know, since then when the people of our communities said no... Mm-hmm. We don't want that. Abbotsford has reduced its water consumption by 25%. In the last three years? Yes. Wow. And that's because they were taught how to do it. They were given the tools. And I'm sure that people are eager as far as fossil fuel use. They're eager. They're willing. They want to do it. Just give them the tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, we spoke briefly about China, and uh, we're going to get into another segment. I kind of want your opinion on this. I got a couple of stories I want to pass by you guys. Um, there's a Chinese businessman, Su Bin. 
Uh, he's accused of stealing data of the F-35 to sell to Chinese companies. And last year, Quinn Quentin Huang, I hope I said that right, was arrested for trying to sell Canada Arctic Patrol ship data back to China. Now you say, well, why are you saying that, Kev? What is that, you know, why do we care? Well, you should. Um, China has a long record of trying to cyber spy, so it was quite a surprise that apparently the Harper government quietly signed an agreement with China to share custom information. Now, there's a lot of examples of Chinese attempts to steal high-tech uh, goods, uh, blueprints and data. So why is the Canadian government so eager to share info on our borders with a government trying to evade or border cops? You guys have any comment on that? I don't really... I'm not following this, so... Well, they Basically, they signed, they signed a, something with China, basically tell them, this is how we operate for our borders. And the Chinese have essentially have for lack of a better word, spies. So you're essentially saying, well, this is when we're patrolling, so don't operate during that time. Okay. But what is China? I was like, they're trying to creep across our northern border. I don't I don't really... They're, they're, I don't stealing, <laughs> they're stealing technology, secrets, data, blueprint, etc., etc., etc. Apparently... They don't need to... I mean, that's not something they're actually going to be like crawling across the border for. They do that online from China. Well, maybe so. But, you know, even the Border Patrol has, in a way, you know... Uh, keeping a lid on the, this kind of stuff. Uh, apparently, uh, spokesperson Wendy Atkin said that this agreement will greatly improve supply chain security and facilitate trade. Uh, the deal was signed November 8th. Negotiations started in 2012. Um, is this treason? Was that the FPP? No, oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Let's call something else. But the FPP is treason. <laughs> so, so uh, is is this treason? Is is this government doing uh, its best to just say, yeah, you know what, China, why don't you come over here and rape and pillage all you want? Is this is this the impression I'm getting here? Because well, that, that sure I, looks like that to me. I don't. I I have lack of evidence. I couldn't possibly make any judgments based on that. Fair enough. Is that kind of stuff you something you guys have? Uh, can be linked to what's going happening with Kingdom Organs. Is I going would to say it's really not in 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 our mandate to uh, consider it. I mean, I might have a personal opinion, but uh, as far as pipe up goes, pipe up isn't. That's not what our raison d'etre is. We're not uh, here to uh, be concerned about all of the ills of the world. Um, rather, oh, just come on, Michael. You look focus. like a guy that could solve every problem. <laughs> well, maybe, but <laughs> but really, um, we we have to focus our our um, attention, mm-hmm. um, and I think that the thing that we have in common is uh, the pipe up members. That is, is that um, we all think that this uh, idea of making British Columbia a carbon corridor for Alberta. Or for you know fossil fuels generally, including coal and including uh, fracked gas, uh, LNG as it's uh, euphemistically referred to, uh, which is from fracked gas. Um, that's where our focus is, and and so it's all about the pipeline and other ways of uh, increasing fossil fuels that uh, that we're really concerned about. Hmm. Well, on that note, since we talk about fossil fuels and uh, green, 
Uh, you'll be interested to know that um, the Fraser Institute, which I loathe with a passion, uh, I don't even know why people still listen to these people. Apparently they warned that Canadians should abandon their homes in low-laying areas of cities in response to naturally, air quotes, occurring climate change. This was done on the CBC's, uh, the exchange, um, a guy named Kenneth Green. <laughs> you got to love the irony, Kenneth Green, you know, with the Fraser Institute. And it's the irony is even thicker because this was apparently filmed in Calgary where they had the huge flood. So according to the Fraser Institute, saying climate change is happening, but it's natural. Mm-hmm. And forget building where you already were, especially if the area is kind of low. Just abandon that and build higher. That's their solution. You know, no solution about trying to stop climate change. So I thought that was just funny. So people whose houses are like at the bottom of the hill should just leave it, should, abandon it, and yeah. somehow find the money to build a new house somewhere else. Yeah, stop subsidizing for building down there or anything like that. You know, hmm. try to build a higher and higher ground. Don't don't stop climate change. Don't <laughs> stop don't stop driving your Hummer, but you know, build your house higher. <laughs> so you, the next time, you know, you can just wear flood pants, flood pants instead of you know being That's swept away. That's ridiculous. It's laughable. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean that you know, building building your house higher is fine, but that's still not going to uh, protect you from climate change. No. You mentioned the flood in Calgary. Uh, I'm not sure what percentage of people in Alberta realize that that was a very good example of what climate change is going to bring us. I heard a climate uh, scientist, actually, he's a hydrologist, but he's um, he's been very involved with climate-type questions mm-hmm. as they relate to water. His thing is water. And uh, he said that for every degree of warming, uh, planet, planetary warming, the uh, the amount of water vapor in the atmosphere increases 7%. And he likened it, he said there are rivers of water in the atmosphere now. And so it also, climate change also affects the jet stream. And what happened in Calgary, you can actually pinpoint how the jet stream resulted in conditions that held held that storm right over Calgary and and it just dumped. Wow. I'd like to bring it back close and personal. Furs Valley close and personal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. And no, no, I think you do. You do have to look globally at these things. I mean, right now in um in the Philippines they're worried about the other big storm, you know, and and what it's going to mean for them. But so um, in 2013, uh, three mayors or former mayors talked about their concern about flooding of our farmland that is worth $2.5 billion per year between Chilliwack and Abbotsford. And those farm fields in Sumas Prairie and Matsky Prairie are on floodplains. Mm-hmm. And I don't in in Abbotsford right now they're building retention ponds for new residential areas to um it's not the one in 200 years anymore it's the one in 50 years scenario and they're costing over a million dollars so we have we're feeling it locally mm. our farmers you know they have to pay money for drainage and diking 
uh, province pays some of that, federal pays some of that. Of course, that's you and I then paying some of that. So we're, we are already um, feeling it in the pocket as far as climate change. And of mm-hmm. course, the whole Fraser Delta, um, and especially closer to the mouth of the Fraser, are of real serious concern in, uh, in, in the matter of uh, climate change. And, you know, if people can't understand global warming or they can't understand climate change as far as that terminology goes, I'm sure that most people can can accept that there's been some pretty extreme weather happening over the last mm-hmm. few years. Yeah, mm-hmm. it seems the general public uh, doesn't understand the whole climate change. Uh, I had a guy the other day come, come to me and say, well, you know, it's global warming, now it's climate change. I had to explain to him, but no, no, they call it climate change now because global warming thought people, everything would just get warmer and nicer and balmier and, you know, this is going to be paradise. Uh, I had to explain to him that the heat is energy. There is more heat, the planet warms, there's more energy in every system. So your storms are getting more powerful, your winter storms are getting more powerful, everything's getting more powerful. And, you know, after the blank stare I got from him, I was like, okay, I give up. But it's it's something that people just don't seem to understand. And it's something fairly simple. Well, I think a lot of, increasingly, people do understand, and I've seen seen several, um, some research that shows that uh, three-quarters of Canadians do believe climate change is real, that it's caused by humans, and a sizable majority want the government to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Dead air. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually a promising statistic. I, I find it is. So, so where are you guys now at Pipe Up? Where, where's the battle? I mean, you, this is, you're, you're still fighting. Um, is there hope? Do you guys see, is, does this look positive for you guys? Well, I think it it you know it is positive, and I was really encouraged at the Burnaby Mountain mm-hmm. events recently, the protests on Burnaby Mountain. Not that um, you know just because the big uh, corporate bully got its nose bloodied, but rather the people that came out. Um, this is a really diverse mm-hmm. movement of people now. You saw, you know, students professors, you saw residents, just local residents of all ages, you know. I, I I was there one day and I walked down to one of the areas with a woman, uh, she must have been in her 80s walking with a cane, but she had to go down to see this borehole site and she was going down through a trail in the woods. I mean, um, it's amazing the the diversity of people that were there. So that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. One one way I look at it as well is that I've come to realize that our regulators aren't protecting us, mm-hmm. and so we've got to we got to take care of each other. And I see more and more and more people joining in on that of mm-hmm. taking care of each other. And the first notion I I was feeling really vulnerable until the um, defend our coast in Victoria. Until that rally, and I started to become hopeful that yes, we can, we can stand up, and we c- we can take care of each other, that's and that, I think that's what this is all about: is us taking care of each other, people taking 
personal responsibility yeah. and not just waiting for the government yeah. to do something. No, which yeah, it's not so going to happen. Yeah, so far they're not really showing any willingness to uh, help in any way, shape, or form. Uh, that's, but that's that's much. Uh, I think that's a much better way. Democracy is meant to be have people participate, not just by voting, but by standing up for their rights and letting their will be known. And and I think that's a really powerful and and uh, good. It's it's great progress. I think it is. Well, that's really good. So if somebody wants to learn more about Pipe Up, where can they find you guys? Pipeup.net on the uh, internet. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Um, and uh, Twitter. Twitter. And is it, it uh, Pipeup.net, is there any hyphens or anything, or is it just one word, Pipeup.net? It might be hyphen, but if you Google Pipe Up, okay, just it, Google it, it should come up. There's, Google Pipe Up. There's Pipe Up against Enbridge. That's not us. But the pipe up network—that's us. Have okay. you guys had? Uh, are you guys linking with other pipe ups? Uh, <laughs> in like a conjointed effort at some point? You I know, love kinda. pipe up against Edbridge. They're they're great allies, you know. And I I mean their concerns are very similar. They're also a community group, mm-hmm. and their their concerns are very similar to ours. They they think that the uh, this whole uh, fossil fuel paradigm and the, particularly the tar sands operation is harmful to the planet. They they think that uh, diluted bitumen is risky. Um, they believe that there's not an economic benefit for British Columbia, mm-hmm. and they've and there are alternatives out there. That's what we found, you know. I I've got to, uh, um Kevin, ask me about the economic benefits for Canada. All right, let's <laughs> ask you about the economic. What are the economics benefits for Canada? Well. You would think that this, um, the gross domestic product of the tar sands would be, what, 25%, 40%, supposedly it's so much in the well, national yeah. interest, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's it's, certainly it's well huge, promoted. apparently. Well, so the real number is? 2%. 2%? 2%. 2%. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And you consider all the environmental damage that's doing, and it's only for 2%. And uh, most recently, uh, economist Robin Allen has determined that in at least one of the last five years, the taxes uh, obtained from the Kindermore and Trans Mountain Pipeline was $1.5 million. That's on a uh, multi-billion dollar... Uh, project, right? Yeah, it, it really gets my boy, bo- my blood boiling uh, to hear the, these kind of things. Um, well, it's not doing much for our country economically. No, no. So it, it makes you wonder why they're so adamant and trying yeah. to, to push it through. Or yeah. what, what is it? You know, you just completely just bought and that's it. You know, hook, line, and sinker. Anyway, I've got a long rant. Stop on my rant. <clears throat> All right. Now, I'm getting really tired of all this nonsense peddled as information to the mostly ignorant masses uh, when it comes to the so-called climate change debate and the mainstream media certainly isn't helping. So let's be perfectly clear. One, climate change is happening and it has an anthropogenic, uh, anthropogenic cause. I know industrial interests are trying their best to plant doubt in your mind, and the media presents it as two-sides debate, giving the impression that the question is unresolved. 
They eagerly parade people like Ezra Levant and Steve Moore to give some semblance of credibility. But the reality is that these people aren't scientists, and the people who do study climate overwhelmingly agree on the cause of the problem. If 97 engineers told you not to cross a bridge because it's unsafe, and Levant and Moore, who weren't engineers, told you to, would you listen? Two, grow up and stop with the nonsensical rhetoric that we need to choose between the the economy and the environment. Countries like Germany, Scotland, Norway, to name a few, are prospering using green technology while reducing their oil dependence, and they aren't going broke. Norway, for example, taxes their oil at 78%, compared with Alberta's dismal around 10%. Norway has called the bluff of the oil giants that they would leave, and their government didn't act like they were some kind of rare bird you can't spook away because they take away their Prussian golden eggs full of jobs. Now they stand having over $200 billion in surplus, Canada, $2.9 billion deficit. You concerned about your job? Fuck your job. Sorry about that. Sorry about the language. You can you can be retrained to do something else. We only have one planet. Three, stop kicking the can down the road. Our kids deserve better. I, too, would like to roar down the street with a massive muscle car with 500 horsepower, but part of being an adult is leaving the Earth in better shape than we the way you got it. We don't inherit the earth from our parents. We borrow it from our kids. It's high, time to pl- it's high time to plan and act with future generations in mind. Four, stop believing it's impossible to do. We managed to turn around entire industries in six months to respond to World War II. And now we're supposed to believe it takes 20 years to reduce emission by 10%? It's clearly lobbying from polluters keeping us here. And the voters' apathy has ensured the turtle-like pace of change. Get out and vote. Don't you find it curious that we have the same engines today that we use in World War II airplanes? Either we can't do better or simply don't want to. 5. Stop using stupid analogies. Yes, I took my car to work today. Why? Because I don't have a choice. It doesn't make me a hypocrite. If the technology wasn't suppressed and available in this free market you're so fond of, I would be using the alternative. While you're at it, no, I'm not advocating we take back civilization back a thousand years because we want to save the planet. Nobody claims we're going to live in mud huts. We can both create and clean up after ourselves. Climate change is by far the most pressing and dangerous threat our species face. It's not about saving the Earth. The planet will be fine, but we might not be able to survive on it. And that is really a stupid way to go, especially when we know about it. We can't afford to keep on burying our head in the sand and present and pretend everything is okay. Jesus ain't coming to save us. We might not be able to find a technical solution to solve this in time, and time is quickly running out because we prefer disposing to recycling. History will judge us quite harshly if we don't move on this fast, and so will our kids. What will be your answer? You're too busy on Facebook? You're too busy working? You should remember that it's hard to hold your breath while updating your status or counting your money. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that was my rant. I can't get the music for some reason. So one last time, guys, uh, before we leave, tell us, the audience, where they can find you. Pipe, pipeup.net. Thank you both so much for being here. We really, really appreciated having you. It's really uh, wonderful to hear an encouraging success story. So far, success story. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks thank for you. coming, guys. And, thank uh, you. Thank you so much uh, for you guys for listening. And uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks, 
Is that we even playing? Jeez. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have Arn Raw that'll be coming on the show. And uh, we also are moving our show, if everything goes according to plan, to Civil Radio at the University at UFV. So we'll CIVL. Be, yeah, CIVL. Civil Radio. So we'll be broadcasting on 101.7 FM. We'll keep you posted. Absolutely. Until then, uh, sorry for my rant being so harsh tonight, but you know what? This really... Gets your goat. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I have to pipe up about it. <laughs> Thank you again Until for coming. Have you. a good night. Good night. Good night.